Today's episode of Birds with Friends is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. To your mother, it's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just a couple of feathery brethren weathering any season to see the Eagles eating teams like bacon, steaks, and cheese. It's Philadelphia, Bow and Shield in the cut, kicking it cooler than two penguins. Still Bo's old arch nemesis. Greg Cosell shows up and it gets real. Pull up a branch and chill. It's time to get ill with some birds with friends. The early bird skips the worm and prefers getting turned like a turn on some birds with friends. Bo and party are coming at you. Stats and things flapping their wings. You can't live up to expectations, no. so just do your best. <laughs> That's what I tell myself in most life endeavors. <laughs> just go with what you saw today. Okay, yeah. Change your opinion daily. Yeah, I'm all about that. For You'll sure. be wrong often, yeah. but then you can just point back to when you were right. No yeah. one will remember. No That's one's true. listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Birds with Friends. Bo Wolf here in my bunker on a Friday morning. With Zach Berman and Sheila Kapadia in their uh, respective holes in the ground. Uh, gentlemen, how are you? I'm doing well. Excited for the pod. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, Sheil, give us the uh, Splinter update. I know that I saw on Twitter that the Splinter is out. Tell us uh, the harrowing story of how that uh, happened. Splinter's out. My sister suggested, uh, I honestly don't know the whole routine. It was something about... Soaking the finger in Epsom salts during the day, okay. and then at, at night while Leela was sleeping, my wife went in with a nail file and uh, kind of very gently oh. did something to her finger, which brought the uh, splinters out. And so the splinters came out, and uh, Leela's been telling everyone uh, who will listen, whether it's via FaceTime or <laughs> our family, that it's been a splinter celebration for the last two days. That has been her most... Uh, her most commonly uttered phrase during the last 48 hours. So thank you to everyone for your concern. Obviously, the most important, it was really the most important thing, I think, happening in the world over the last uh, week or so. And so we, we were able to get it done. Yeah, that's why no one's gone into the office. It's a, <laughs> it's a worldwide splinter celebration. That's right. Uh, and uh, Zach, we're like uh, a week and a half into potty training. What are, uh, what's the status? Uh, hot and cold. You know, there are some days that are better than others, as as we've seen. Um, but uh, all things considered, it's going okay with that. Going in the right direction. Going progress in the right is direction. being made. Okay. Pro- yes. Yes. Now, now that that doesn't mean it's perfect. There have been enough accidents that that, that uh, it's not an exception. But uh, that's I, I believe that's part of the process. The I pro- find yeah. that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I find that to be the, the some days better than others. I, f- I find that to be a good description of sort of uh, my experience recently. You know, there are some days you have sort of a heightened level of uh, anxiety and angst. And then, uh, you know, other days where you feel a little bit better about uh, maybe just a slight bit better. You're able to isolate yourself. I feel like last week I was able to really pour myself into work with free agency and writing, uh, I feel like uh, the anxiety's heightened a little bit over the last 48, 72 hours. Uh, it's, it feels simultaneously like uh, every day lasts a month and also yep. that like the last three weeks have just been a day in and of themselves, right? 
Yes, yeah. I, I want to clarify. When I said I was doing well at the beginning of the pod, I, I was trying yeah. to bring energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I'm yeah like, I know that. This I, isn't, yeah, you know. This isn't yeah, like the I, greatest period of my, <laughs> my life right now. But, um, but relative to what's going on in the world, you know, I, I, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting time. I, 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 I do need to say on a, on, a, on a lighter note, I am envious of S.H.I.E.L.D. right now uh, oh. because – uh, this would be a good time to go with the shaved look. The uh, the, the, the hair is getting pretty long right now, and there's 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 no end in sight. Well, interesting. Oh, yeah. well, you, inter- Zach is a man who gets his hair cut like every two weeks or something like that. Really? <laughs> no, two not two weeks. No, oh. no, 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 not not three two weeks. weeks. Every, yeah, every, every three weeks or so. Okay, <laughs> it's not that big yeah, of a difference. No, that that is, I I disagree. I think that's a huge difference. Three weeks, I'm saying, all right, that's, you know, I, I think I was in the three to four week range when I needed to go. But two weeks, it's like, man, this guy must, this is the Rockefellers over here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never gone two weeks in between. It's, it's usually like three to four weeks. Yes. Now, when I, when I had hair, if I, was, uh, if, I, if I was very wealthy, I would have loved to do like a, like a one week or a two week, you know, just always keep it at the length. That you wanted, and it's funny you should say that, Zach, because I'm going the opposite way. So you know, grow? as of yesterday, I had not uh, shaved the head. the The facial hair was coming in full, and I did a family vote. I said, "All right, who wants uh, who wants Daddy to cut his hair?" And it was uh, three versus zero. Let it grow. And then I said, "Who wants Daddy to uh, shave his face?" And it was uh, two v one. In terms of yes, you should shave your face because mm. uh, Naya thought that it would look especially weird if it w- if I was in the hair grow and the beard grow. So I did shave my face yesterday, but uh, the hair's coming out a little bit. The big bald spot is uh, exposed to the world. Who voted for the beard? I think my wife was you know half interested. <laughs> like uh, I don't I don't really care. Do whatever, do what you want. I've got bigger <laughs> fish to fry right now. <laughs> well, fair enough. Uh, on the uh, on the scale of things going on in the world, we should thank our uh, our listeners who have all donated uh, to the uh, No Kid Hungry site that we've set up. We're pretty close to our five thousand dollar goal. We're at about forty five hundred, and we'll uh, answer some questions from uh, those of you who donated and asked questions uh, in getting the bird in edgewise at the end of the show. So uh, feel free to uh, continue to donate if you have not yet done so. All right, uh, yesterday. We heard from Howie Roseman for the first time. Uh, I think we were all on the call juggling children at the same time. And uh, it was, I'm not so sure I would say informative, but we got Howie on the record on a lot of these things. Zach, why don't you tell me what uh, you thought was the the number one takeaway for you? Well, the the number one takeaway in terms of how they built the roster was was the emphasis of the secondary and and then the kind of the absence of addressing wide receiver or uh, avoiding addressing however you want to phrase it. Uh, I I think the the thing that became a big headline from it was Howie saying that they don't think the cupboard is as bare as the public thinks and really kind of talking up what they have on the roster. Now I don't know of how he totally believes that i think that's 100 um, you know, percent posturing yes exactly you know i i mean i think that uh that he they're going to address well they're obviously going to address it in the draft i can't imagine they're only going to have rookies and returning players my guess is there's still a trade or a signing to be made uh and 
Howie essentially intimated that too. But uh, the the big kind of takeaway I think a lot of people had was Howie saying that the cupboard's not bare. Whereas if you watch them at the end of the year, um, it's a major, major problem. Uh, in, in terms of the secondary, I thought it was a real interesting quote when he said that he got tired of seeing the ball thrown over their heads. Um, that, that was, that's, that's accurate. And he, he was, uh, he was pretty honest that they needed to spend money at cornerback because they drafted Sidney Jones and, 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 and Rasul Douglas to become starters. And though they can't really count on those guys to be dependable starters right now, he said that. So they, so you, you, you need to bring reinforcements from the outside and then we can kind of go in into other takeaways. I thought DeAndre Hopkins, Darius Slay, you asked him that. I, th- I thought that was an interesting answer. Uh, but I, I think wide receivers and cornerbacks were my two biggest takeaways from it. Well, let's 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 uh, focus on the receiver part first because I think that's what everybody's uh, worried about and probably rightfully so. And I think we should like uh, myself. I have I, I'm trying to take a bit of a step back here because obviously it would be insane if the Eagles actually felt that this wide receiver group was good enough and we'll just see what happens in the draft and uh, otherwise we'll be fine going into next year. I I, I, I cannot imagine that uh, Howie Roseman actually feels that way. So like what are what are the solutions that are out there? Like what could they have coming down the pike? I know there's a, a rumor uh, of interest in Sammy Watkins who I think uh, you like a little bit more than I do Zach but Yes. Uh, like, you know, is, is a lot more than you do, I, I would say. Okay. Is, yes. uh, you know, is two receivers in the first two rounds good enough? Like, are, you know, if, do they actually expect Alshon Jeffrey to come back? I, it's hard to read between the lines. I, I just, I don't believe that they feel the way that Howie said that they feel. And I think that they at least think they have something else up their sleeve. I mean, with the draft stuff, really, uh, what year is this? I mean, when has it worked out well to say that you have a glaring hole on your roster and you're going to go into the draft and fill it that way and it's going to work out well? I mean, I thought we learned about this five, six, seven, eight years ago. You know, it was like, no, this is not the right way to do it. Uh, There are so many variables in the draft. By the way, there are so many teams this year that – need to fill the wide receiver position in the draft. So I don't care how many good players you think they are, there are. You're, you can't be overconfident in your evaluations that you're going to get uh, the guy you want. And the guy you want might not even be the best guy. I mean, again, there are so many variables with that. And so I do tend to agree with you. You know, uh, Howie Roseman is not a, a dumb person. He watched what we all watched last year. He has seen how a very good, a great wide receiver can affect the quarterback, can affect the offense, can affect the chances of sustained success. But having said that, uh, you know, all the guys are gone off the free agent market that you would want to bring in that could potentially have an impact or have high upside. The the big trade chips that we know of were gone. Now, listen, if they, if they have something working uh, in terms of the trade market and they're going to pull the trigger on that trade uh, right before the draft, after the draft, whatever, then absolutely we'll revisit it and say we were wrong. And that could be the case. There certainly could be something under the radar. But uh, in terms of kind of the options that are out there, you almost have to take them a little bit at his word that they're going to go into this with the guys on the roster and uh, who they're going to end up with in the draft. And I have a lot of question marks 
about whether that is the right process to take. Yeah, I, I think that that the biggest and, and and we've discussed this before. The biggest um, problem for the Eagles would be if if they get caught up in this notion that they want these receivers to grow with Carson Wentz. That they that they were let's I don't want to say duped, but misled by what happened last December, and thinking that if if you just kind of get young, fresh legs with Carson, then they'll be Carson's guys, so to speak. And and uh, you know I I I do think it helps to grow the position organically. And and I said going into the off season that the draft should be the focal point of the rebuilding process at that position. Uh, but I think they can have one player they can bring in who has done it, who gives you a peace of mind, and my guess is 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 that's going to come before the draft. I, I'd be surprised if they waited until after the draft to do that just because of the uncertainty, especially in the free agent market. After the draft, you're probably looking at the trade market. I do think that the um, the least acceptable answer Howie gave on the wide receiver front yesterday was about the free agent receivers and uh, how like the the contract demands at the beginning of free agency for those receivers were higher than they ended up signing for, and that like that caught them by surprise. But like Robbie Anderson and Brashad Perryman signed on Monday, the Eagles still have plenty of cap room. That that answer did not pass uh, muster for me. I thought that was a very I thought that was a very concerning answer. I mean, not only because of what you said, but that's sort of the job of the GM. And uh, you know, there are times he's been very good at that aspect of the job. Uh, but like the job is to read the market, figure out, all right, this is what they're asking for now. What are the odds we think that's going to come down? What are our other options? And yeah, I mean, you know, Brashad Perriman signed this week for a one year. What was it? Six it was, year million? It was, six yeah, million? It was six guaranteed, eight or something like that. Yeah, up to eight. Uh, you know, Robbie Anderson, uh, we'll see what the actual contract details are there. But yeah, that was Howie Roseman's explanation was that we were in, a, we did inquire about all of these free agent wide receivers. And when we inquired, the price was too high. What they ended up signing for was lower than we anticipated. I mean, he was hinting that if we would have known that this is what they were going to sign for, we would have signed somebody earlier in free agency and again i mean that that's kind of part of the job is to read what you think is going to happen make assessments on their actual asking price versus what they actually get be prepared when the price comes down to make a move i mean how many times have they restructured contracts here over the last two years and the idea being we're let's free up some cap space in the short term so that if an opportunity presents itself we can pounce you know it's, it's and that is go ahead no, yeah, I mean, it's just for these types of opportunities. So I agree that I thought that was a, a pretty uh, a pretty concerning response or explanation there. I was just going to say that is their cap situation right now. Like they don't have a lot of cap room moving forward, but they have cash to spend this year. So like, you know, a one overpaying for a one year deal for Brashad Perryman is like, a. I mean, we are overrating Brashad Perryman. There is no guarantee that he is going to be anything, but he at least... Uh, gives you a little bit more flexibility in the draft and lessens the severity of the uh, immediate need. And overpaying for one year to give yourself that flexibility uh, seems to me like a worthwhile move. Now, let's say in in theory, or, or not even theory, let's say in, in reality that's that did actually happen, that 
they misread the market that they only had had that they allocated cap space of a, a relatively big contract to only x amount of players what move do you think Howie Roseman would take back if he could see right now that, like like this is what everyone's going to get what move do you think Howie would do differently to add a wide receiver that's a that's a good question. I mean, there, there really have only been two bit. There've been two big moves, right? I mean, it's Hargrave or Slay. I actually think this leads into the DeAndre Hopkins conversation as well, which we can talk about. So, I, I don't know which one he would. He yeah, would I mean, take is it back. like I don't know that he would Rodney take McLeod? back. Like, these are there's not a lot of yeah. There's not a lot of things to take back. Well, would I he get, wait on like the McLeod Mills combination? Right. Um, you know, would he be a little patient at that position and, and say, or say maybe instead of Mills, maybe they just go with Will Parks? Um, you know, yeah, maybe they go with a million dollars there and, and instead of, you know, four times that or, 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 or whatever it was and allocate more to wide receiver. I, I don't know the answer, but the way he phrased it was, was that uh, if they knew this is what the numbers would, would be, they would have budgeted cap space differently. Which that's a that's a great point. I mean, with Mills, I mean, what was Mills getting on the? Like, I don't know. Did you have to rush out and make that deal? He's settled. I mean, if he's hungry to go go out and sign the one year four million dollar contract, that means he didn't have anything else out there. So yeah, maybe, to play safety too, right? You know, right, like, to, right, to change positions. Yeah. Uh, so you know that price was not going to go up. Uh, was that a mistake to go out? And kind of just use that money there. But again, I mean, they have money to spend. I, I don't know that this idea that it was this either or situation, unless there's something that I'm totally missing, or, uh, you know, maybe it's something with the Alshon Jeffrey contract or an ex- extensions they want to do or other plans that they have to make trades, that type of thing. But, uh, it doesn't seem like it really would have necessarily had to be an either or type situation when you're talking about those second tier, uh, wide receivers. And by the way, uh, Jeff McLean just tweeted out the specifics of Rodney McLeod's contract, uh, and it is oh, come essentially. On. Zach Berman had that on a on a previous podcast. Uh, did you have that? the you have the exact oh, same? Come on! I thought I don't I thought I don't listen. Jeez, man, his former running mate too. Well, he says more I detail. Mean, my I, thought, I, I assume when he I assume that I trust him as a reporter when he's giving more detail. That means that there's something extra to it other than what yeah. Zach had. Uh, no? I don't know. I thought I thought Burmo had that uh, had that nail. What was that like a week ago too? I mean, come on. Well, you Zach, you had you had it as as basically two <laughs> two for eight, right? Eight point six five. Yeah. Eight point yeah. six five. Okay. <laughs> yes. But it's like yes. a fully guaranteed in the second year. Did you have that? I guess you did. I'm oh sorry. no, yeah, I did not have the year by year splits. It was just it, it was I I just had it differently than it was initially reported. It's as, just basically, but it is yes. like it's a two-year commitment, which is, uh, you know, the guy's 30, so. I feel like you're trying to steal my shtick about, you know, nothing matters, who cares, uh, not listening to anything anyone says. Just, you know, st- stay on your corner, I'll stay on mine. I think we're all having a little bit of nothing cares these days, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> nothing matters, I mean. All right, now, I, I read your guys. Uh, by the way. I'm uh, sorry, Zach. 
That's okay. Yeah, Chef okay. <laughs> did have a lot of details. I give Chef credit for that. Yes. The theathletic.com slash birds with friends. Again, uh, you know, these guys did a, uh, Bo and Zach did a takeaways from there, from the Howie Roseman call. Uh, we've touched on some of those. I want to get to some of the other ones. But if you haven't signed up, you can sign up there. We've seen a nice uptick in, in people who have used that promo code, which uh, not only gets you the discount, but gets you the 90-day free trial so please continue to use that now uh sorry i like the la- word uptick go ahead oh. now my just, la- i like the sound of the word uptick well i'll try to use it as much as possible here now am, am i allowed to change move on to another topic bo or do you have you i don't do, know you how organized do you are you want to you do hopkins here i want to do hopkins here yeah let's do it well well why don't you guys explain what uh how we said and then i will offer my interpretation of your interpretation so I asked, question. Yeah. yeah. So now this this conference call was was interesting because it was you know everybody just gets to ask one question and you're sort of in the queue. So uh, my question, which was good because otherwise it's just people shouting over each other on a conference call and it's just very silly. Um, so my question was, you know, why uh, or at least can you explain the willingness to give up draft compensation for Darius Slay and extend him? Uh, you know, giving him a new contract and and then not willing to do it with DeAndre Hopkins. And there were two answers that Howie gave. One was, you know, there is a difference between, uh, and he was being evasive enough so that he couldn't, you know, get uh, dinged for talking about specific players. But there is a difference between, uh, you know, ripping up a guy's contract when he's got three years left versus, uh, you know, giving Darius Slay a one-year extension. And we do have to say that those, since we last recorded, the Slay contract details came out, and they are uh, certainly a little bit more acceptable than what was widely reported. Although we can get to uh, whether that affects our feeling on the trade, but the the second thing is, uh, you know, you can't uh, you you can't exactly count on it being equal in terms of the eye of the beholder, like what the values are. And basically, he was saying, uh, as as we said when the trade happened, as I said, like Bill O'Brien loves him some David Johnson, like he valued David Johnson at a at a high level, so. Uh, the ask might not have been quite the same. Now that said, like you know, Miles Sanders is better than David Johnson, right? Would w- would you explore like Miles Sanders plus uh, instead of you know coming over the top of David Johnson? But the the answer was that like they were involved. They were probably a little bit reticent to give uh, DeAndre Hopkins the new deal, but uh, the the ask was also a little bit different. I don't think it was it was all it was all David Johnson either. I mean the the Cardinals pick. Is more valuable than the Eagles pick too. That's true. So, so perhaps it, it was the first round pick that they wanted. All right. So I, I I'm listening to all of this and trying to think of all the different theories and why they did not. And my I guess my big picture thought is this was a time to get really aggressive and go for it. I mean th- that really is my sort of bottom line thought here. So let let's address the things one by one. I mean. You know, they're talking about DeAndre Hopkins and they do not want to do a new contract with him and that that's going to be big money. But you're in the conversation, like you're in the compensation conversation with the Texans about what it's going to take to acquire him. So at some point, like there, there's a package where you would 
just, you know, swallow the pill and say, all right, we are going to do it and we're going to sign him to a long-term contract extension at 18 to $20 million and we think that's the right move. So, uh, it, you know, I know you look at the, the whole package, but like they weren't just, if they were adamantly opposed to signing DeAndre Hopkins, uh, redoing his contract and signing him to a long-term extension, then you don't even get involved in the other part of the conversation. So well put. That, that, that's number one. And then number two, you know, Howie Roseman was explaining that uh, it was different, a different compensation package that they would have given up as opposed to the Cardinals. And that's fine. And that makes sense. But like, again, I think this is a time to come over the top and, and say, all right, well, we can beat that. You know, Zach's right. Yeah, the Eagles second round pick is what, 13 picks after the Cardinals. So obviously the Texans would prefer the Cardinals pick, but like two second round picks, it's not crazy to me. Or like, uh, hey, hey, Bill, uh, you don't have to send us back that fourth round pick you're going to give the Cardinals. Like, yes, like, like, would two second round picks in Dallas Goddard have been appealing to the Texans? I mean, you are dealing with the wild card in Bill O'Brien, and so I, I, you know, there's the possibility that there, was, like, there was just going to be something insane because the guy fell in love with David Johnson and he has no idea what's going on and he has no, he's not looking to plan for the long term. But until I hear like, you know, this is what O'Brien asked for and this is what the Eagles said no to. And, you know, obviously we will try to find out what the answer is to that. Other reporters will be doing the same and that will give us kind of a clear cut. Hey, here's the decision they said no on. I'm not willing to just say that, you know, O'Brien looked at it and really wanted David Johnson. And that was the end of the discussion. I mean, you know, do you think that, Two second round picks and a player would have gotten it done. I mean, maybe O'Brien liked Miles Sanders. Maybe he liked Dallas Goddard. That to me seems like a, a package that maybe he would have said yes to. Am I am I crazy here? Am I off base? I don't know if you're. No, I, I don't think you're crazy. You're off off base. I think that that you're you're underestimating the fact that they wanted Darius Slay. Uh, that their objective mm. this off season was to get a number one cornerback. And when they failed to land Byron Jones, um, I think they they thought the best alternative, and perhaps the only alternative, was Darius Slay. Uh, that's that's well, my read on. on it. Hold on, because the Hopkins conversation was happening before, like th- those trade conversations could happen before the league year started, before the Eagles sure. knew that they weren't going to be able to get Byron Jones. So they would have been able to uh, to like win that trade negotiation. Before even while still thinking they could get Byron Jones, no, and before but, they and before they traded for Darius Slay, we now know that they were interested in Chris Harris too. So it's not like Darius Slay was there, like he was their plan A. We know that he wasn't their plan A. Yeah, but I I, I think I do think that obviously going into the off season they have a plan. All right. Byron Jones at plan A, uh, you know, Chris Harris, maybe plan B, Darius Slay, plan C, or maybe those are, uh, you know, the same. So I, I do think you go into the off season and you have to have a contingency plan. Hey, if we don't get Byron Jones, what are we going to do? So I do think that's valid. And I do think Howie said something about the fact that, you know, if you make one move, then maybe you can't make the other moves, whether it's Hargrave and Slay. And I think that's a, a different conversation. And I think that's one where I feel totally fine criticizing them for. I think that's a bad decision to kind of focus and and put the emphasis on building up the defense through multiple parts and thinking that's going to have a bigger impact on your team and your ability for sustained success than 
being really aggressive and acquiring a player like DeAndre Hopkins and realizing what that's going to do for your quarterback, for your offense, and for your chance to sort of be in the Super Bowl mix for the next three, four, five years. So if that is that if that's the decision that they made that we would rather have, uh, you know, we really want Slay and Hargrave, and this is the way we want to rebuild, and we don't want to give up more different picks for Hopkins that would be worse compensation, you know, more significant compensation. I think that's the wrong decision. Yeah, I mean, you're preaching you're preaching the choir. I totally agree. I mean, we I, I still uh, the twenty first pick for DeAndre Hopkins is not crazy to me. No. He's unbelievable. I mean, he's twenty-seven. Yeah. Yeah. I look. I agree there. I, I would. I would trade your first-round pick for for DeAndre Hopkins. I would redo the deal. Um, like I said in our last podcast, I don't put much validity into the precedent that that said. <coughs> excuse me. That uh, when it, if if you redo a, a deal with three years left, uh, because it's a special player, and special players get special rules sometimes. Um, that's. We've seen that in the NFL time and time again. Uh, and I, I don't think anyone in that locker room would have legs to stand on to say, why did you do DeAndre Hopkins' deal and and not my deal? Um, so I I don't I don't buy that part of it. Now, let's say in theory they traded a first-round pick for DeAndre Hopkins and a second-round pick well, – I'm sorry, not a second-rounder. A third-round pick and a fifth-round pick for, uh, for Darius Slay. They did both of them. Uh, and those are the two big moves this offseason. Would you say that they are not adhering to draft volume, that, that they're disregarding age? What would your your take be if, if those were the moves this offseason? Uh, I don't I don't think you're you're doing the slay deal if you're doing okay. if you're giving up the first for Hopkins, I think you're yeah. not doing the slay deal, and I think you're in a better spot to be quite honest as a So who's your number one cornerback? So then are are, are we standing so let's say Let's workshop this. If if they trade for for DeAndre Hopkins, are we standing here saying they had the ball thrown over their head the past three years and they didn't? And they were still a middle of the road, and they were still a fine defense. Like By the they, way, the, the, yeah, the cornerbacks have been this. very bad the last two years, and as Sheila has pointed out, like they were what sixteenth in pass defense. Like that's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I, and they're not going to get worse. It's almost like, so, you know, in a way, it's sort of cornerback and wide receiver. They decided to go for the big splash at cornerback, and now they're going to take a bunch of swings at wide receiver and see what happens. I would have said do the exact opposite. Take the big swing at wide receiver, get Hopkins, and then and then, uh, and then then take a lot of bites at the apple. God, I'm using a lot of stupid, what are these, analogies, <laughs> metaphors, uh, whatever. Uh, these, are, these are metaphors uh, at the cornerback position. So you go into it. All right. So the worst case scenario is you got uh, some combination of Jalen Mills, Avante Maddox, Rasul Douglas, Sidney Jones, Cravon LeBlanc. That's the worst case scenario is you have three of those guys starting. Is that what you want to happen? No. But as we just pointed out, last year their pass coverage was not good and they were 16th in the NFL. So in addition to that, I think you can uh, maybe you, you draft somebody in the first two days. Maybe you sign a low tier free agent. Maybe it's someone like uh, I don't Kevin know, Johnson, Kevin Johnson, Eli Apple, <laughs> one of these guys. I mean, I don't know. You do the scouting and figure out which of those guys. Javian Elliott, probably, or, or presumably someone who played for Jim Schwartz, uh, you know, like six years ago. 
Right, and you do that. And here's the other thing. By the way, the ball getting thrown over your head. Uh, so I, I keep this spreadsheet at the. Uh, I built this spreadsheet at the end of the year with a bunch of stats. Where do you think they ranked on percentage of uh, explosive plays given up? So basically, you look at total number of pass plays a defense faces, and then number of pass plays that went for over twenty yards. Bo, uh, I would that make sense? Twenty seventh. Yes. Okay. 27th. Zach? Uh, 22nd. 10th. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So what, what, where are they getting the ball thrown over their head as much as it seemed like? Or is it just really freaking hard to play defense in the NFL? And maybe, the, you know, you should kind of view that. Where do you think Darius Slay ranked in number of explosive completions allowed last year? Now, this is a charting stat, so take it with a grain of salt. Mm, 35th. Uh, like, are you saying it? most or most? Like, what? Mo, like, yeah, like the oh. worst guy is first. Oh, like so the guy who gave up the most. Sixth. Wow. I believe this was in your article, wasn't it? It, it was. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, yeah, I'm Read trying it. to remember. Yeah. That's yeah. why. Yeah. Oh, I know that it's. I know that it's higher. That's why. Uh, yeah, I, I forget the exact. I remember reading it's, it, but I forget. It, the exact it, it's tenth. There were only okay. nine corners who who gave up more uh, more uh, pass plays of twenty yards or more. Then Darius Slay. So, did you? How well did you really address that problem? Now he's a year older. He's in a different scheme. All these different types of things. So, uh, you know, I, I just think when I'm looking at it overall, and, and people are probably tired of this discussion. And I know some people think you couldn't just negotiate with Bill O'Brien. He wanted what he wanted. Maybe that's the case. Uh, I also think that's a bit of a generous interpretation. And my bottom line is that's a place where I would have gotten aggressive. I would have really gone all in on trying to get DeAndre Hopkins because I don't think it was something crazy. I don't think it was even going to be this Stefan Diggs deal. I think it was going to be less than that that you would have to give up. I think he comes with uh, no locker room issues that I know of. I mean, he seems to be a very good team. Now, maybe there is something behind the scenes that we don't know about. I don't think so. It seems like he's been a good teammate, a guy respected by his peers, a guy who's been productive, a guy who's been durable, and is going to be 27 years old. And by the way, would really fit well. If you're looking at the short term and you actually think Deshaun Jackson's going to be healthy, man, that is a very good combination of different skill sets for your outside wide receivers and you can still add to it in the draft where you're setting yourself up, you're setting your quarterback up for success in the long term. So that that's my big picture thought with the DeAndre Hopkins conversation. I, I do think, though, and I'm, I'm not defending them because I agree with, with what you said. I do think from a team-building perspective, they looked at it like they tried building the cornerbacks organically. They didn't do it. They needed to address that position. And they did the other way with the wide receivers, that they've done – that they've, they've gone outside the building the past three years for four wide receivers, and it's a position that they need to address organically. Uh, so I'm not that defending seems like a little bit over it, but I think that's the way they like, think. Which they well. continue to do on all these things, it feels like, the overcorrecting right. part. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just telling yeah. you, I, 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 I think this is the way they're thinking inside the building. Like, we signed Alshon, Torrey Smith, Mike Wallace, uh, Deshaun Jackson. Now, I know Jackson was a trade, but it, but you get what I'm saying. Traded for Golden Tate. Uh, it's about time you invest significant draft resources into position. And I say that knowing they spent a 2015 first-round pick on Nelson Aguilar, 2014 second-round pick on Jordan Matthews, and then last year, obviously, on J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. But, I, you know, I, I think in in this Carson Wentz period, in these past three years of team building, 
They've mostly done it from outside the organization, and they want receivers they can that can grow with Carson. I would say do both. I mean, offensive yeah, line, I mean, offensive line, wide receiver. Uh, throw your resources into those two things. Make sure the passing offense is what you want it to be. The guy's entering his prime, and you know, draft, free agency, trade, whatever, and figure the other stuff out. So I think that transitions us well to uh, the Slay conversation because uh, Lease. What? How does how does the last name go? Oh, Lias Adepec. Lias Adepec. Okay. Yeah. Much better than Ob Flu, I have to say. Mm. Um, so Lias. Cab uh, Namreb is that the other uh, member of this podcast? I I, I I I've never actually done that before. So really? I oh, I love doing mm. a backwards. You know, you go to uh, you go to Scub Rats, you get yourself a coffee. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of options. That's pretty good. Um, so uh, Lee, Lias, I guess, uh, looked at uh, looked closely at Darius Slay, and I think I think that this is an important part of the conversation too, because uh, the Eagles are, you know, the expectation is that they have acquired this uh, ace number one corner, and I think that we can read into uh, the moves that they have made that you know there is some there is some type of scheme change coming here with Jim Schwartz. Howie Roseman talked about it on the conference call yesterday. Uh, you know, that one thing that maybe they need to do is not rely so much on uh, four-man pass rushes. If you can play uh, man-to-man on the outside, that gives you a little bit more flexibility. Uh, I think that they think that Darius Slay can be a uh, lockdown guy on the outside and all of these uh, little rugrats that they have in the middle of the field, these uh, quote-unquote <laughs> positionless players, can, uh, they can mix and match. And while they just while they just leave Slay on the outside, that gives them some more options in the middle of the field. Um, but uh, from what uh, from what I read from Lias, that may not quite be the case with Darius Slay. Well, you know, I, I think the thing with with Slay, and so for those, uh, you, you know, normally I would say I'm not going to tell you what I wrote because I want you to subscribe to the Athletic. But many of you have been subscribing, so I will uh, just go ahead and go through this piece that I wrote. So I watched four games of Darius Slay's on film. And really, like, if you take his, you know, top 10, 15, 20 plays in coverage, then you would say, like, this guy's unbelievable. I mean, he, there are reps where he's just, you know, man-to-man against Stefan Diggs or some of these other, uh, or Amari Cooper, and you're saying, wow, you know, there's no one in recent memory on the Eagles who could just sort of mirror a receiver in coverage the way Darius Slate did. It's really impressive. Uh, you know, he, you, you just watch it and you're kind of mesmerized. I don't know how cornerbacks even play their position, to be quite honest. It just is, it's, it's like the other guy knows where he's going and is an elite athlete and you're expected to just stick with him. So you see those plays and you can understand why they made the trade. But like, he's not a, you know, the idea that he's sort of a quote unquote shutdown corner is just false. I mean, if you look at it, quarterbacks were not afraid to throw his way. You know, all, all the numbers are in there. He was targeted 93 times last year. That was 10th most among corners. Uh, you know, I watched this game. He, the Lions played against the Chargers, and they were just, it was him versus Keenan Allen. He traveled with him across the formation, and Keenan Allen was getting the better of him for most of the game to the point where the announcer's going, someone needs to call Matt Patricia and tell him to help Darius Slay on Keenan Allen. Now, Slay had a terrific 
interception at the end of that game, which is one of those plays I was talking about where you say no existing Eagles cornerback is capable of making those plays. But like he's going to get thrown at. He's going to give up some plays. He gave up some explosive completions. And the thing that really stood out is he's, he has great top-end speed. I think he ran like a 4-3-6 uh, coming out of college, and it seems like he still certainly has that speed. But I do think there's a concern that when he loses a step – sort of his best, the best aspect of his play, which is his coverage ability, is going to not be there. Where, you know, if he's getting beat for deep balls, if he's getting uh, beat a step here or a step there by wide receivers, then that man coverage that you're really adding him for is going to face a decline. And so it's really a matter of projecting what he's going to be here over the next two years. If he slips a little bit, I think you still have a, a really good cornerback. If he takes a a big dive, which frankly we've seen from some cornerbacks at that 29, 30-year-old range, then you kind of have a disastrous move that you made at cornerback. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't take like, I don't think I took a strong stance in this piece one way or another. I don't think he stinks. I don't think he's going to be an all pro the next two years. Uh, the big question is kind of what kind of decline is he facing in terms of his athleticism and his speed over the next two years? Is anyone there still? Yeah, yeah I, thought, I thought okay. Zach was going to – I thought it was no, no, Zach's no. turn to hop on it. I, I, I thought that was a very good analysis. I enjoyed the piece. Um, look, I'm the the proof will be in, in how he plays. Obviously, the Eagles are optimistic about it. Um, I, you know, I, I, uh, I'm going to go based on what Shield said on, on this one. Um, but uh, – yeah, it's we'll see during these these next two years. They're counting on him being a, a number one cornerback for the for the next two years. My guess is he's is he's going to be better than what Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills were. Uh, now, is he going to be enough of an upgrade to warrant that being the 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 big addition this off season? Time will tell. But you know, I at 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 this point, they've they've made the gamble. To me, it is um, it is as if they entered the offseason and it really was like our, the, the, the one thing that we have to do is get a number one cornerback. Yes, and exactly. I don't really like love boxing yourself into that thing. It's, it's like we have to get this no matter what. And as, as Sheil has uh, been talking about, like the opportunity cost of that, it's, it's not just can you get uh, – can you upgrade a corner? It's what is it – what is this robbing us of doing elsewhere? And I don't think that, you know, trading a third and a fifth round pick for a guy who the contract details are out. I mean, it's a two year deal. Like this is a two year yep. solution. Um, it's not it's not great team building from from my perspective. Now, you know, it's hard to think long term in the NFL. It's like, you know, are the 2022 Eagles, should they be on your mind that much? Probably not. But uh, like you can't just keep you can't just keep borrowing from the future uh, to help the present, that's going to catch up with you at some point. And like, if Darius Slay is not awesome, this deal is a disaster. Well, but but the ex- expected value of a number one cornerback for two years is is going to be more than the expected value of your third round pick and your fifth round pick combined. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think that's that's fair to say, isn't it? But who's to say that he is a number one corner and? The upside is if you hit on a third or fifth round pick and that guy's a starter, 
that is that is more valuable because you're you in terms of like filling out the roster on this team that has you know a high paid quarterback. That's really important to be able to get those cheap starters. Well, I, yes, I do think it. it uh, go ahead. No, I, I I agree from a team building perspective, but I I do think they they viewed it like this is something that they needed to address. Byron Jones was their number one target. They didn't get Byron Jones. Uh, they get Darius Slay for a third and a fifth round pick, which I don't think is prohibitive. I I I would rather have those picks, but like I said, you need to look at the expected value of a pick. If you do hit and he becomes a solid starter, that's that's a good cost-controlled player. Um, but the chance of him becoming a Pro Bowl player uh, is slim, and the chance of him not becoming a, a starter is fair is fairly high. I, I mean, I pro- it's probably odds-on that he does not become a starter. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not as furious about the compensation as, as you seem to be with me. It's more the opportunity cost. It's, it's more, what else could you have done with the money? What else could you have done with the picks? I think I agree with that, but, and it also speaks to, you know, when Howie Roseman addressed the media after the season and he talked about how kind of that was, you know, last year was the end of that sort of one window and we're looking at the next window. Yeah. And so on, you know, on one hand, you've got your like Kelsey, Lane Johnson, uh, Zach Ertz, now Darius Slay, Rodney Brandon McLeod, Brooks. Fletcher Cox. Brandon Brooks, like these guys who are all guys who, you know, you're hoping that the next two years, like you're still getting something really good out of them. And then after that, I mean, who knows? So on one hand, it almost looks like the slay move is a, hey, we've got a two year. Let, let's really capitalize over the next two years with this guy and, and go for it. But then on the other hand, you're saying, well, we're going to build, you know, we're going to build the wide receivers through the draft. And the fact is, even if those guys all that I just mentioned play at a high level, if you're not getting the wide receiver play, the chances are you're not going to be competing for a Super Bowl. So I know it's this balance of short term and long term, but like, I don't know, it doesn't sort of all mesh together in a way to me that makes sense. And and like, you know, we have watched every game over the past however many years right it over last year on the year before did you did you watch this team and think to yourself what this team really needs the one thing they're missing from being great is a number one corner no uh, not for me like they need wide receiver help more they need better pass rush more than they need better cornerback play i feel like like it's weird that that Uh, was the the, i I don't know I think you. I, I think you. There were definitely games where you watched it and said these corners. Sure, suck. they have no chance. Yeah, I but, mean the Dolphins game was was pretty. Yeah, but, it, but 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 I do agree with you in terms of sort of long term building it to give yourself the best chance. That that would not have been my number one priority. I think the scheme fit thing that you mentioned, uh, Bo, at the beginning and how we mentioned uh, was very interesting and also very important. I mean, watching Darius Slay. Like, if you're going to play a lot of zone, this is a terrible use of resources, in my opinion. I mean, he is a uh, – the Lions played, I think, as much man coverage as any defense in the NFL or were certainly among the league leaders. And, like, that is his skill set. It is, it is man coverage, you know, 
Don't allow separation. Stick with this receiver. Travel with him in the slot, on the left, on the right. Although, like, if you're not doing all those different things, you're really wasting, in my opinion, mm-hmm. what he's what he's best at. And so I, I think it does definitely signal that they are going to move towards more man coverage, which I think we saw some of this in the second half of last year when the defense, um, you know, was starting to play a little bit better. The thing that, you know, Howie said about not having to rush just four, that was interesting to me. They blitzed a little bit more. Last year, but like everything in Jim Schwartz's DNA is, says that no, that's not like his core belief is build the defensive line, rush with four type deal. So that that would be kind of fascinating. I, I just think Jim Schwartz is a fascinating figure to look at this offseason. You know, we weren't sure if he was going to be back. Doug Peterson gives the weird answer. Uh, Jeff McLean of the Inquirer had the really good article during the season about sort of Schwartz and the personnel staff don't always see eye to eye on who to bring in. And Schwartz has been winning out. And now every move they've made uh, this offseason suggests that like Schwartz's power has grown. I mean, is there any scenario where he said, I want out and they said, well, we'll keep you. We'll give you a little bit more of this. Uh, You know, do they feel is, is it almost like when Jeffrey Lurie gave the answer with, you know, with giving Chip Kelly personnel control that it was like he just kind of had to do it and see what would happen so that he would have, be able to make a decision. Is it that with Schwartz where they say, if we want this defense to be good, let's hand him, you know, full control of who we bring in and see if he can really build it up? That would be a weird thing to do, in my opinion. But the moves kind of suggest that. I mean, look at the guys. He drafted Darius Slay. He coached Nikel Roby Coleman. Every free agency move they've made has been to address the defense. They miss out on Byron Jones. They add Javon Hargrave. Uh, I don't the know Jalen what... Mills for Malcolm Jenkins swap, I think, has his fingerprints on it. And yes. and like his boy, he gets rid of Philip Daniels to, so his boy can be the defensive line coach, even though he's never coached that position before. Like, I it's I totally agree. This is like this is the off season of Jim Schwartz, and it's odd because, like you said, uh, this idea that there's going to be this massive scheme change. Like Jim Schwartz is a guy who's been doing the same thing for a long time to very good results. Uh, yeah. So it's it's odd that. Uh, like it's uh, all, all of a sudden let's let's give uh, Jim Schwartz the keys to totally change what it is that he does. Zach, what are your thoughts on Jim Schwartz? Yeah, I I, I hear this. you there. I mean, I think, but I think it's it's been that way since 2016. Um, okay. So so I don't think this off season is is much different. I, I mean, this goes back to bringing in Nigel Bradham, Leotis McKelvin. Um, yeah, good. Point. I I could go on. I mean it. Doug Peterson said uh, back in 2016, he's the head coach of the defense, and every I I think everything they've they've done on the defensive side of the ball has been with Jim Schwartz in mind. Now I am curious to see how the scheme changes because a big part of his of of his makeup of everything he said is rush with four is win with a four man rush, and I don't know if they're if they're going to all of a sudden be a great blitzing team. Uh, you know, I I would imagine those blitzes need to come from your secondary. Um, you know, they don't really have these great blitzing linebackers right now. They've um, been one of the worst blitzing teams, by the way. Right? Yeah. So when they do blitz, the numbers are really ugly. So it, that I mean, I mean that part strikes me as odd. Um, so <laughs> so we'll see. But I you know I I do think that that they that they need better coverage. That's something that I know internally they felt. They need to improve the back end, um, and then I, I I just keep thinking like it's it's March twenty seventh. Uh, we'll see what this roster looks like 
whenever they they reconvene. But the the draft is 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 a huge period for team building. They have cap space. I I just don't think like like they're almost finished. I I don't think it's just draft eight players and then show up for training camp. Um, I, I I think there's there are more moves to be made. That would make uh, sense. That would make sense if there if there were moves specifically at wide receiver to make that we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would you know common sense would lend yourself to thinking that, but you know. At the same time, as the days go on and as the players get signed and traded, the options become more and more uh, limited. So um, you're, you're probably right. I mean, the final assessment of what they have at wide receiver probably cannot come until uh, mid to late August. But, um, you know, as of right now, I understand or like, people's frustrations. Uh, you know, next year, if uh, things go that direction. Um, yeah, right. The, the 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 last thing I want to talk about on the uh, on the Schwartz front and the Howie call was um, you know basically the penciled in Avante Maddox as outside corner. Um, like, is it th- this idea that uh, you have all these all these interchangeable parts opposite Darius Slay that you can move around and can handle what the offense throws at you uh, is a little bit overrated to me. Like, the offense can still just find the weak link no matter who that is. And Avante Maddox, as an outside corner, has not been successful. Uh, you know, he got he got dusted by Allen Robinson in that playoff game against the Bears. Uh, he was not good when he had to play uh, on the outside against the Packers last year. Uh, I know that they like Avante Maddox. I like Avante Maddox. But with uh, Nickel Roby Colbin here now and uh, Strap still here and the way that Howie Roseman, um, you know, all but buried Rasul Douglas and Sidney Jones. Like it certainly wow, sounds like it's going to be Rasul a especially. No, My no, I, yeah. I had a different read there. I think he buried Rasul. I don't think he yeah, buried he, Sidney. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, that was You're my right. Read. But yeah. I think he also buried Sidney, but he at least like left the door open. I no, think I mean, that I was think... actually more like we still, maybe we, maybe we still think we can trade something for or trade Sidney for something because. Let's oh no! I think it's about. it's they think they're going to trade Rasul. I mean, I think mm-hmm. Sydney's going to go in and and compete with Devontae Maddox and probably be your third oh baby. On the it outside. begins March and, uh, March twenty yeah. seventh. The Z Firm Sydney Jones campaign <laughs> for twenty twenty. And I I think Rasul Douglas is getting traded. Um, that's that's my read on this. Well, yeah, I mean, his comment was, you know, Sidney Jones has had some injuries, but when he's been healthy and played, we've seen some good things. He's like, eh, Russell Douglas, let's be honest. We know what we've got with him. He, he's not yes. he's not getting any better. I was like, wow. He, <laughs> said, they're, he said they're probably in a little bit different situations. Uh, yeah. That was his, his quote, suggesting Sidney has upside to be scratched and Rasul Douglas has a body of work. That was his quote, <laughs> a body of work. Um, and but he like, also like, said, that's basically what's there. He also said, if you fail on those two picks, that's why you have to go outside the organization to find the exactly. The that's why they went so, to get Darius Slay. Yeah, right. but I I think that um, that their plan is to have Avante Maddox penciled in with Sidney Jones competing, and that he he said this is a pivotal year for Sidney Jones. Uh, he didn't say this is a pivotal year for 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 Douglas. Because my guess is Douglas is moved in the next month. Mm. I like that he he was also like, uh, you know, we thought that Rasul could get us the ball back, but we don't really value that anymore. (laughs) 
No, I thought, but he couldn't. It was what he was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's more what it was. I think yeah. they do. By I think the they way, value I, it. Yeah, yeah. I don't like these sort of. I mean, the get the ball back thing is sort of weird to me. I mean, there's such a randomness to. I feel like these interceptions. Even Darius Slay had like a you know eight interception season, and then last year he had two. And I, I was adding up his uh, pass breakups and interceptions, uh, and then dividing by targets because you know you hear a lot about his. Uh, his ball skills or his ball production had been very good in the past, but like last year it was not great. And so that's another area where if you think he might slip a little bit, that's sort of something to keep an eye on. But I did want to, you know, the positionless thing is interesting. By the way, do we have any reads or anything we got to get to? Nope. Unless okay. unless you want to talk about, um, we, we, we've got, <laughs> we, we're open-ended to talk about uh, local places that uh, we want to just give a shout out to for continuing to, uh, you know, do takeout or or delivery or things like that. Oh sure, well I you know I've given one to Bittersweet Kitchen in mm-hmm. uh, in media and they have uh, they have dropped off food at our door a couple times. They threw in an extra piece of cake and were very uh, oh. thankful. And so uh, that is probably my favorite uh, media restaurant. And it, it does a you know by all accounts they are taking every precaution to make sure that they can safely deliver you food. And so. Uh, uh, I would give them a plug. I've also been watching this uh, show. I think you watched the show, Bo Ugly Delicious on mm, uh, Netflix. Very good. Yeah. Uh, Zach, you, you in on that show or no? I am not, no. I, I generally have not, you know, I haven't watched a lot of these sort of food travel shows, but I feel like at nighttime when I don't want something very intense, it's kind of a nice feel good. They go to different places in the world. Um, and I feel like, uh, you know, hopefully whenever this whole thing uh, is over, and uh, everybody is, uh, you know, well, I don't even know if I can like say everyone is safe and sound, but let's mm. say we're well, looking at it optimistically that uh, you know there there is an end, and people, I feel like I'm just going to be, you know, eating at. I don't know if I'm going to be eating at restaurants, but like ordering all my food all the time. Mm. They, these chefs, I feel like I have a newfound uh, appreciation for them where I just want to support them. I don't like to cook. I like to eat. Eh, I'm going to give them all my disposable income. I think you have um, missed a piece of news that is extremely depressing. <laughs> oh, God. What is that? You know the episode that where they go to yes, India? Yes, no, I saw that. You saw yeah, that? I did. Yeah, I was going to text you. Yeah, that was I, sad. Well, I didn't want to yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to yeah. rip your heart out, so I didn't, well, I didn't text yeah. you, but I'm glad you saw it. So. Well. There was an Indian chef who uh, died of the coronavirus. Yeah. So that is the depressing bit of news that that Bo was stating. That guy was great. He was great. He was great. Um, So any any places you guys want to give a shout out to? Uh, you know, I have, I know that I, I, I have not uh, ordered any takeout or delivery. I'm just, I'm too scared. I've done some, uh, I've done a, a few restaurant gift cards to do my part to, uh, to help the people. But, um, I were, we're getting a produce delivery today from, uh, Giordano's they're doing these produce deliveries. So a uh, shout out to them. That'll be, that'll be my first, uh, my first time. I want to give a shout. I haven't, I haven't, uh, ordered in from here during, this period, but uh, Jose Pistola, Sancho Pistola's Pistola's Del Sur, because they hosted us uh, yeah. ah, back for go. our, our meetup, and so they are doing a, a beer and food to go. Um, so that is uh, something, and then uh, I'm a big fan of, of Pietro's, and I know they're doing stuff. And then uh, I had, on my birthday the other day, Emmy Squared. Which is oh. a uh, yeah had a good pizza and burger combination there that I shared with the. Emmy Squared is good. Yes, so 
uh, ordered in there. And our our producer Kent, um, his wife is in the uh, food business, is in food service as well. So shout out to her and hope that this passes uh, sooner rather than than later, so everyone can get back to work. Well said. Amen. Uh, so what I was gonna, what I was going to ask about, and uh, I know we're running a little long here, but let's be honest. What else does anybody else have to do? Uh, so uh, Poor the Ken. position, the sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, Ken. If you need us to go, just uh, just let us know. But the last thing I wanted to get to from Howie was the positionless players thing because I do think that this is sort of uh, one of those things that's great in theory, but I do question it in practice. You know, especially with the draft coming up, you'll hear so many guys described as, hey, this guy could play inside, outside, you know, he can play a little safety for you, he can get down in the box. But like we never say this guy can do this well, this well, this well, and this well. Like anyone can line up there. Bo, you can line up there at free Correct. safety. And str- you can play the post safety and play in the box. But they you know who's a, a you know who's a you know who's a positionless player, Jannard oh. Avery. Yeah, and he couldn't get on the field. Uh, right. And also, like Avante Maddox, I mean, they I don't think he's a positionless player. I, I he has no position. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I mean, I mean, in two thousand. 19 with the Eagles, he was a positionless player because there was yeah, no position like they the, could put him at. Yes, quite uh, quite literally. Not in the way we're <laughs> using it here, but yes. Quite well, no, literally. I do think it I think it applies. I mean, he's either like an edge rusher or like an off-ball linebacker. You know? Is yeah, he, when I think of like positionless of player, it's, it's, it's more like how the Miami Heat were back when they said, all right, we're not going to announce positions. We're going to have five guys who can fill different roles. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's how you're talking about Isaiah Simmons in the draft that one day he can be, uh, you know, your, your weak side linebacker. And another day he can play safety. Another day he can match up on this tight end. Um, now it's hard to find those guys, but I, I do like the idea of having players who can do multiple things depending on the opponent. Because as 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 we see, every week is its own season, and you you can't just go in to each week with the same exact game plan as the week before, uh, un- unless you're far superior to the other team. So if you have guys who can match up on a different player each week, um, that would be a good thing. Now that being said, I thought the best positionless player the Eagles had was Malcolm Jenkins, uh, because Malcolm Jenkins was a guy who could adjust week to week, depending on the opponent. That's that's one of the things that I liked about Malcolm's game. Uh, I don't know if Jalen Mills can do that as as well. Uh, but I do like the idea of, having, of emphasizing that, of not just looking at a player for what they can do against, you know, in, in a vacuum, but also how can you adjust depending on the opponent. Well, I think the key thing you said there is those players are hard to find. I mean, Isaiah Simmons, even no one's sure if he's going to work out, but he's what in like the 99th percentile of NFL athlete. Like those guys are, you know, those guys are very tough to find. And like Avante Maddox saying he can do this, this, this. Well, yeah, if Avante Maddox is going to be lined up outside against a good receiver, we have no evidence that he's going to hold up well and not get torched. We actually have evidence to suggest that they probably will target him and he will get torched. Now, he can get better. Uh, He can develop again. Like you mentioned, we all, you know, I, I think we think he has value to a team. But like if a guy's really good at, covering the slot and you say well he can also play outside 
But when he plays outside, is he going to get targeted every time? If a guy's really good at covering the slot, but you say, well, he can, you know, also kind of match up with tight ends. Well, is the tight end just going to like overpower him and that size discrepancy going to be an issue? Uh, so again, I, I think it's, it, it obviously is a focus of what they've done this offseason and it's the direction they want to move in. But uh, I am, uh, I'm a bit skeptical and uh, I'm fascinated to see uh, how it's going to work out. All right. Why don't we get to the uh, the questions from our uh, loyal donators? Are you guys ready? Yeah. Getting Looking a bird in edgewise. The first one comes from uh, John Powers, who says, uh, the team has a ton of remaining cap space, even with Alshon still on the team. They signed Nickel Roby Coleman, but how can they use the remaining cap space as an asset and not let it go to waste while keeping in mind the money crunch next year? Hmm. Good question. I, I think they are keeping in mind the money crunch next year, number one. Uh, but there's a handful of things they can do. First off, you you need to save some spacing in case you do decide to cut Alshon with the post-June 1st designation. And you're going to ab- ab- absorb a cap hit. Um, or That's even a key point, I think, that, we, prob- yeah. that I, we pro- yeah. I personally probably should have mentioned earlier during that whole conversation. But uh, I'm glad you brought it up now. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. Um, and, and then you, you, you want flexibility if, if you do make a trade or you do make a, a, a late signing. Now, most signings you'll make at, at, at this point are of like the Roby Coleman type where you're looking at, at near the minimum. Um, but – if if you make a trade, you're going to absorb cap space. Or if you trade a player, you're going to absorb a cap hit if it's a guy making money. So if you trade Alshon. Uh, and and then the other thing that I, I don't think we can totally dismiss uh, until it gets to that point is Yannick. And, and, and I, I keep pronouncing it incorrectly. And Gakwe. Um, there you go. Yannick yes, incorrectly. Uh, did I pronounce no, no, it incorrectly? Got, oh, no, okay. You got it right. Um, that... <laughs> Like un, un, until he's on a different team, I don't think you can rule out the possibility uh, because just a, a special player at a premium position where the Eagles have a long-term need. I don't think they're trading for Ngakwe. I would. I mean, that would be wow. Like categorically, all in on the defense. That what about after something. the draft? Let's say it's 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 like the clowny deal last year. Where this this gets to this this gets to September or or this gets to August mm. and he he hasn't reported yet and uh, like in, in 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 that situation would you be willing to do it? Well, yeah, if the compensation yeah. uh, drops to a third round pick and two linebackers <laughs> so you don't play, uh, sign me <laughs> sign me up. But no, uh, that, no, I feel like you got to hold on to Duke Riley. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess that's a fair point. If the if the price drops to you know just a a very a lower point, then uh, I could see it. But uh, or something after the draft where it's like you're giving up your 2021 second rounder or something. Then all right, uh, yeah, I can I can buy that. Uh, next up from DD Milky, what is the angriest you have seen an Eagles player during a media event? Oh wow, that's a good one. Good question. I feel like Zach's got a, an encyclopedic list here. At one of us or just in general? Just in general. Oh, just in general. Yeah. Okay. I have a couple uh, that co- co- come to mind that I, I can I can go first here. Well, one of them is he was an Eagles player, but when I saw this, he wasn't on the Eagles. And that, and that was Michael Bennett in Seattle yeah. where I don't know what – I honestly don't even remember the circumstance. I think he thought the camera was too close – 
to his face, and it was after like a playoff loss, and I was uh, on the other side of the locker room, but you heard him yelling, and there was quite a bit of a of commotion and uh, some reporters stepping back, so there was that. Um, I remember Jason Kelsey. I think it was not last year, but the year before, where somebody came up uh, and and was like stepping on his. I think it was a camera person stepping <laughs> on his bag. You know, yes, as he was getting that. back yep. to his locker, and uh, you know, he wasn't going crazy, but it felt like you know he wouldn't have minded going after that person if he was, <laughs> if he wasn't more more in control. He was just like, "Dude, get can you not step on my stuff right now?" Uh, as I come back from the shower, and uh, you know, I think he was going through some injury issues at that time. I'm pretty sure that was uh, that was after a loss, and so he wasn't happy there. Go ahead, you guys could say your others. I'll see if I can think of any others. Oh. Well, I'm not uh, – this isn't angry at the media, just angry in general. The one that comes to mind is uh, is Carrie Williams after the Riley Cooper video uh, surfaced. Oh, yes. That's a good one. That's a good and, one. And uh, rightfully so, in my opinion. What was he like? I actually I can't recall exactly what that day was like. Oh, uh, I think it was like, you know, there, were, there was a lot of like sort of towing the company line. Okay. And, uh, and Carrie Williams was certainly not – uh, not usually one to do that, and he, and he was not willing to do that then. And then, of course, like the first practice, he started a fight with Riley Cooper right away. That was outstanding. Yeah, hey, we're not supposed to root as media, but I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I was going all, all in on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back in 2012, Mike Vick was um, frustrated with something that I I wrote with. Well, it was oh. a headline on a story, oh. and uh, screamed over to me. Uh, to step into his office and objected to it and uh and i had my recorder with me and i, I said if you want to listen back we can we can listen back i i i quote you accurately and he he told me he 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 did not have an issue with what i wrote he had an issue with the headline and uh what was the I, headline it was an accurate depiction of of what he said, but as I found out, I, he, <laughs> he got in trouble internally for for what was saying. it? What was he, what was the thing? Do you remember? Yes, it, it was that um, the change in offensive line coach was affecting the way he played because oh. of the uh, of the um, I guess the center it, it, the person who who, who was calling. The shifts on the defense was changing from the center to the quarterback. Oh, I when remember. They went that. from Castillo to Mud. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and I spoke to him by his locker one day, and he was he was he was honest about it, and, and I thought I wrote a fair story, and I still think I I wrote a fair story, but um, he joked with he me. He just got that, in trouble, is the yeah. He said he said you're going to have to pay my fine. Um, so, uh, I, I didn't have to pay his fine, but that's, that's why Michael Vick was, uh, was, was pretty frustrated at me. That's pretty Uh, good. Good one. Uh, from Carrie Summers, uh, what is the best slash worst case scenario for the offensive line this year in terms of development lineup and resources spent via draft and free agency? No, that, that, that's an interesting question. I feel like we've barely talked about the offensive line, you know, except for the Peters Dillard thing. So I guess the best case scenario is Andre Dillard develops into the guy you thought he was when you drafted him, and everybody else on the line stays healthy and doesn't see a steep decline. 
Well, Suo Opeta develops into the all-pro that we all know he'll be. My Lada, I guess, would have to be in there as the best case. He, he's your, what, your swing tackle? And really, uh, when he is asked to play, plays well type thing? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think they need to sign a, a uh, Plan B veteran uh, swing tackle, although theoretically Matt Pryor could, could do that, but I don't think they necessarily want to rest their uh, hopes on, on just Pryor and Mylotta and then hope that like that guy they bring in is beaten out in camp by Mylotta. Um, I do think they're going to spend at least, uh, at least one pick in the draft on a guy who can compete with, uh, or, or I mean, be over Nate Herbig as the presumptive Jason Kelsey replacement. Um, but I'm not so sure that they, they need to do that. Yeah. The, uh, the veteran offensive lineman I'd, I'd be interested in and, uh, Bo and I had a beat back and forth about this on, on Monday, uh, is Cameron Irving. Um, because of of the position versatility and the fact positionless that positionless guy, yeah. Well, he he's played tackle, guard, and center in the NFL. Started at each one, literally. Um, so uh, that would be a better night. I would look for best case scenario, like Shield said, Andre Dillard um, becomes a a legitimate like like building block at left tackle, and then the right side of the of the line stays healthy. Uh, worst case scenario is that. Uh, Jason Kelsey and Brandon Brooks um, start having a regression, and the Eagles really don't have adequate. They 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 don't have the 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 uh, reinforcements behind them. Number one, and number two, those are blue chip players on the team. And if 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 they go downhill at all, uh, it dramatically affects the offense. Yeah, I think I think Dillard doesn't D- Dillard struggles. And one of those three, I would, you know, you could probably even throw Lane Johnson in there. One of those or two of those or three of those guys either gets injured or their play declines. Declines. Why do I keep saying declines? (laughs) That's a a you question. Okay. Uh, All right. Next up, Bobby Michaelis. Um, I know you guys don't agree. Oh, hold on. This is a wide receivers question. And uh, I know you guys don't agree with Howie's moves, but do you believe Howie is looking at someone down the road? There are a ton of top free agent receivers next year, so maybe he is looking there. And he mentions Chris Godwin, Juju Smith-Schuster, Cooper Cup, Keenan Allen, T.Y. Hilton. Um, That would be a mistake. I mean, if they're good enough, they're going to get signed. They're not going to hit free agency, most likely. Uh, you can't be you can't be looking down the road. I I think that it's possible that he is looking down the road at a trade before the season yeah. starts, but I don't think I don't think it's uh, next year's free agency. And and Carson Wentz is 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 not like a a twenty three year old second year quarterback. I mean yeah. he's he's twenty seven years old entering into year five like this. And I understand quarterbacks have long shelf lives, but this is is like the prime for Carson. Um, you don't want to waste a, a prime Carson Wentz year saying we'll wait till next year's free agency class. So if if that, I don't think he's, I don't think how he's doing that. Now I, I do think that they look at upcoming contracts, upcoming years to kind of get a sense of of when they'll be aggressive. But I think in the case of of wide receiver, I think they would like to build it organically, and I think they're going to add reinforcements here. I agree, but I will say. <laughs> Uh, just to add to that, watching the Lions Chargers game where he was on Keenan Allen, man, Keenan Allen is—he's mm, fun is, to watch. Is very good. Yeah, he was. Uh, 
you know, he was making Slay look, uh, they had a nice back and forth. He was making him look silly with his uh, releases and some of the things he was doing at the line of scrimmage. So uh, I, I have a greater appreciation for Keenan Allen. And I also uh, understand Stefan Diggs. I watched the Vikings uh, a Vikings game versus the Lion. I understand some of uh, Stefan Diggs's frustrations even more now, I feel. Mm. Well, that's Although a good, I don't know uh, that they're going to get better in Buffalo. But... <laughs> That's a good uh, transition to the next question from Jerry. Would you rather spend your entire duration quarantined with Kirk coupons and the only thing available to watch is reruns of The Office or be stuck with Eli and the only thing available to drink is lukewarm, fierce grape Gatorade? Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of The Office, so... I will take the office rather than lukewarm Gatorade. Wow, you don't want to hang out with Eli? You guys have so much to talk about. He's already done that. He's already done the second <laughs> one. <laughs> He's like, it's actually citrus cooler. But, uh... <laughs> I think I'd do the the uh, the Melvin one too, just because I would I'd get a lot of material out of it. What am I drinking during the Kirk Cousins one, or is there no drink? No, it's just the only thing you can watch is Office reruns. Oh. Office the with Eli. or Gatorade with Eli? Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually don't think that uh, I think Eli Manning like a uh, in a one on one situation. I don't. I think if he's if he's I would like, much rather hang out with Eli. Not on the record. Yeah, I think you might have some funny stories and stuff. I don't know. Oh yes, absolutely. Abs- yeah, absolutely. There. In, t- in terms of the company, I think Eli would be good company. Right. I'm, I'm gonna have some Gatorade with Eli. But I'm okay. a big fan of The Office, so you like, can't maybe drink you can, anything maybe, else besides Gatorade. Well, what about water? Can I have water? I don't think so. All right, never mind. And no coffee. Wait a minute. Forget <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, what I'm are you do- doing? I'm doing The Office, yeah. Okay. But yeah, certainly would rather hang out with Eli. Uh, we have a bird lines here. Uh, 2020 receiving yards for the most productive of whichever is Alshon, Deshaun, or J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Whoever, whoever of the three of them has the most receiving yards okay. or... Receiving yards for Dallas Goddard. Oh, I like this one. Receiving yards for Dallas Goddard. Whew. I don't know. There, there, there's like an upside, right? If you can right, get there, like 12, the, the, 13 games out of Deshaun. Right, exactly. That's really the one. I mean, I, I would be surprised if Ortega Whitesett had more than Goddard. I don't really believe that Alshon Jeffrey's going to be on the team, so it almost turns into a one-on-one. Oh. Mm, I know. Hope is not a strategy. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll I'll take the swing on Deshaun. The Eagles are doing it. I'll follow their lead. <laughs> I think I will too because you can't you can't like it's not like you can guarantee that Dallas Goddard's going to play sixteen games either. That's true. You were in our beat back and forth. You were killing Deshaun, and now all of a sudden you're you're <laughs> picking him in this. Well, I, I didn't, you didn't. You're saying tell. planning to have Deshaun would be. Yeah, I, I think that's is, folly. I think it is. Yeah, but there's like Deshaun could have more receiving yards in like six games than Dallas Goddard has in a whole year. That's true. Uh, okay. From Peter Andrews, this is for uh, for Sheil. What oh. are your top tips from working from home? My top tips for working from home. Okay. Uh, well, you know, a lot of this obviously depends on your situation, 
your job, all these different types of things. But I will, I will tell you the things that were, have worked for me since I uh, started working more from home. And even, you know, when I was covering the Eagles full, you guys work from home uh, plenty as well. So sure. uh, it's kind of half the year you're going in. I, I think one key one, if you can swing it, is to get up. Or, uh, you have to find out when you're most productive. Uh, if you're a night owl, then you don't do this. But I am at my most productive. I wake up, get the coffee, hit the computer. And that's when I'm at my best, I feel like. So if you can wake up early before the rest of your household wakes up, you know, maybe the kids wake up around eight. If you can start working at like six, get a couple hours in before everyone's up and you're doing some of your, uh, you know, family duties, I think that is a very nice option strategy to have. You can knock out some stuff early. I think uh, splitting up your day into chunks, uh, you know, in the middle of the day, whether you like to go for a walk, uh, work out, whatever, take a break, you know, get your sort of morning shift done, uh, maybe have lunch, do something else, walk, work out, whatever, and then come back for a second portion. I feel like you kind of get refreshed with that second portion. I'll look at something I wrote in the morning and say, no, 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 I've got a better idea. That breakaway for the computer kind of helps, uh, helps a little bit as well. Uh, figure out your caffeine strategy. Uh, I, as I said in the last one, uh, the espresso around like one o'clock has really been working well for me. I haven't been getting tired uh, during that mid-afternoon. Later in the day, I think those are my main ones. I can't. I don't know if I'm forgetting. Uh, so, oh, oh, here's another one. Don't get distracted by like uh, you know, sort of home chores type things, you know, like uh, save that for the nighttime when you're not going to be productive at work, whether you have to do laundry or clean up or do some dishes or, uh, you know, unload the dish, whatever. Those things I find, uh, I would rather do those uh, at nighttime when, you know, my brain has not been working as well at night in terms of writing or coming up with ideas. So those would be some of my tips. Any thoughts, any feedback there? I don't mind if it, if there's like a I'll put in a load of laundry in the morning and then you know change it midday and that's that's the only uh, house task during the day. I will say the one uh, the one thing that I have uh, learned in this period where it's not just me working from home, it's everybody at home. Uh, and truth be told, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of childcare involved there, and I do more more of my work at night. But that goes to your point of uh, find when you're most productive. I need to I need to shower in the morning before the day starts when everybody's at home because otherwise I'll just I'll, it'll be five o'clock and I haven't showered yet. Interesting. Oh really? Okay. Huh. I feel the, clean. The other... I, I feel like I, I'm more productive if I feel clean. Yeah, but I but like isn't that every day? Like, aren't you in the shower first thing every like on? Well, a, if I'm working from Saturday home by myself. Yeah, on a Saturday. But if I'm look, like, I might do some work in the morning and then, like, you know, shower at lunchtime or something like that. I do the, uh, I do the, I, I cater the shower to when you exercise if you exercise. Mm. I know Zach likes, so what do you shower seven times a day? <laughs> uh, <laughs> not seven, but yeah. I mean, a lot. Yeah, I, I, at I, one I, point, I like you said clean. you showered three times a day, you said at one point. It was no, crazy. No, no, no. It, um, I'll, no that's not. <laughs> I, I shower when I wake up. Shower uh, guy. Shower I'll shower uncle. after a workout, and then I'll sometimes shower before I go to bed. Yeah. Okay. So, but but not three times a day. That's um, three. Yeah. No, but that's not like every. <laughs> that's that's not always the case. Anyways, my work from home thing, and I I understand it's it's a different situation for everyone now because 
your kids aren't at school if you, if you have kids. So it's a little different. But I, I would just emphasize that the operative word is is work and not home. So so like oh. you're you're working. Wow. So, oh, the no, boss. So, the boss is <laughs> <so> cracking down. <laughs> No, my point is, is it's it's not like you take a break for a nap. You you don't you know take a break to to binge watch a TV show. Like you're you're at if you're on your couch at your desk, whatever it is, your your workspace is, you are there working just like you're in, you're in an office. So that's that's the way I see it. Um, now I've I've never worked in a in a traditional office setting, so. Um, Perhaps there's a lot of procrastinating going on in a tradi- in a traditional office setting. That I know that's right. Um, but uh, I've I've always viewed it like like uh, if if I'm working from home, I am working. That's that's a big emphasis in mine. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is uh, sort of the eating schedule. You know, like it, it's very easy to just always be hungry and always eating when you're working from home. So eh, figure out something that works for you. I mean, if you're trying yeah. to bulk up then you might want to you know then you're you're eating more if you're trying to slim down you know have certain times where you kind of get on an eating schedule i think uh helps because otherwise every time you're like near the kitchen you kind of just grab something and eat and that's probably not the best unless it is the best for you it's not the best for me there you go uh another this is a this is a shield specific question from our uh, our dear friend at uh, wild farm wines are sweatpants different than joggers? Does Shield jog in them? If yes, can someone take a video? Uh, well, I want to give a shout out to Wild Farm Blinds who gave a very generous donation to yes. our uh, our No Kid Hungry, and also, uh, you know, we, we're I don't want to say we're short on alcohol, but um, you know, trying different things. I've had a couple of the Wild Farm wines that he's. Uh, that he sent us, and uh, you know, outstanding. I don't know what should I be drinking as like a a man in his late thirties if I want to like say, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe drink a, add a little bit more wine to my repertoire. What kinds of wines should I be drinking? That's a, that's but, a you question. Like, what I mean, what are, but do you are, like? are, aren't there some that are like socially frowned upon? Others that like you're at this stage of your life, you should be having this. You know, you should uh, have this. Uh, you shouldn't be having like champagne every night. You know, so like, what are that I, I need to know? Nice. It sounds nice to me, but yeah, I, I need I need a recommendation from Wild Farm Wines about like you know give, give me a few that I should. What are the ones I should be uh, like your regular drinking maybe uh, once or twice a week type thing? I'll let him answer that for you. Okay, uh, joggers are different than sweatpants. Most notably, a little more fitted. You have a tapered leg, and you have the elastic at the bottom of the pant. So, uh, you know, those I think are a little bit different. I do not jog in them. I do not jog. I've got a little, you know, IT band issue with the knee. So running is not, uh, is part, part of what I do. So you cannot, uh, get video of that. On the same note, I will say something I've, I've enjoyed and we're getting really late into this podcast <laughs> with nonsense. Uh, you know what I like is the hoodie that does not have the elastic bottom. You know what I'm talking about? It just kind of yeah, flows. Yeah, let it flow. Yeah. Yeah, a little loose. Yeah, I don't uh, want the I don't want an elastic bottom on a sweatshirt. It's, it's hard to find. It's hard to find a lot of those sweatshirts. I find though. So anyway, go ahead. Uh, last question from uh, Dan: What is the top out there tactic that might actually be successful in the NFL if someone tried it? For example, just kicking the onside kick at the receiver and like at the receiving team's knees as hard as you mm-hmm. can, which is something that I have long uh, advocated for. I would say this is something, and I hope I'm crediting it correctly, that, that Press Taylor discussed a year ago 
when he was he was asked the question kind of where like football might be going uh the idea of having two quarterback type players on the field um would mm. maybe he maybe he fed the uh, Taysom Hill line to uh, Brady Papinga <laughs> but <laughs> but the idea of of having of uh of two guys being able to throw the ball and and the different uh, uh variables that could create I would say that's an idea that intrigues me. Well, we know met- Shield wants to uh, to wants the short punt. Well, we know you've mentioned Brady Papinga in back to back podcasts. <laughs> for, I mean, no one could have ever predicted this. Uh, yeah, I like the shallow punt, the punt where you know you're doing it intentionally short because it hits somebody uh, on the other team. You get a little fumble, scramble. Uh, situation there where maybe you can get the ball back. So I like that one. And then the other one is just uh, throwing, you know, this is kind of a boring one, but throwing the ball deep more. I mean, you, it's. I feel like it's very underutilized still between being able to get uh, a pass interference call, a defensive holding call, a potential completion, getting in the opponent's head for other stuff you want to set up later in the game. I still feel like teams do not throw the ball deep uh, nearly enough. I think that's right. Uh, I do love the idea of just kicking of just kicking the ball right at the guy on the front line for an onside kick. Uh, I feel like I need to think about this if there's something else that comes to mind. But the other one that comes to mind is just violently spearing the opposing team's quarterback in the head and uh, hoping to not get called for it. There you go. Works. Uh, maybe in a playoff game it could work. Uh, the last thing we have to hit on, I know it's been long, is uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, Tom Brady's representatives oh, filing a trademark that. application for TB by TB. I did see that. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And uh, I was able to wait until the very end to bring this up. So I think I think you need to give me credit for that. I think that's right. Yeah, I, I'm shocked that we didn't lead with this. So good job. I don't think that's the reason he went there. But uh, good for him, uh, right? I'm not so sure about that. By the way, he's also he also put out a video the other day of like uh, stay inside, uh, social distance, and buy my product. Like, be a little bit less craven, Tom. Get <laughs> enjoy your phone calls with uh, with the president. I'm sure you're both very busy. <laughs> wow, Jeez. I was actually I was actually very surprised that that uh, Instagram post yeah. did not get more criticism. Ridiculous. I mean, it was. Yeah, it, it was like a be safe out there, but also buy my TB12 something or the other, which I don't right. think there's much of a science to, you know, that's not going to help people avoid the coronavirus, but I don't know. That probably deserves some type of deep dive from somebody else. I was also thinking just how many, like a high percentage of quarterbacks in the NFL are just uh, big weirdos, I feel like. like yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, no really, it's really hard to find like the likable uh, this person's doing the right thing with no baggage type good quarterback in the NFL. I think we have hope with Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. I think yeah. they, they all seem, I mean, they both seem very likable. And But uh, we'll see. Who knows? In five years, who knows what they'll be doing? Well, I, I, think, Drew story Brees giving a, I think I think Drew Brees giving a $5 million donation is yes. is. He Pretty deserves admirable. credit. Yeah, he's, he's great. He uh, he jumps off my band list for that. <laughs> I'll give him credit. That was a great job by him. <laughs> great job by him. That's, as other, yeah, as that's other, why he did it. I mean, really, as other professional sports owners try to, uh, yeah. you know, slash. Yeah. 
uh, jobs and the pay of their employees. Five million dollars is a lot of money. You like, need to regardless. be bailed out by Joel Embiid. Like yeah, like Drew Brees is not making like a professional sports owner money. He's making a lot of money, but that's like a significant amount. Very generous, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, thanks for hanging in. To the three of you who are still listening. Yeah. Uh, We appreciate that, and thanks to Kent for uh, wasting his entire morning. Sorry to Kent. Sorry to Kent. Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week, probably a couple times. Stay safe, wash your hands, support local businesses, and uh, we love you, as always. Birds with friends. Birds with friends.